0: Welcome back in, guys, to another episode here of the Advisor Odyssey Podcast. Now, look, today we got some good stuff coming at you. Uh, A more critical topic, actually. We're going to be talking about KPIs and what I believe are five of the largest and most important KPIs in your advisory business. We'll talk on what a good marketing budget is, percentage-wise, based on the revenue you bring in. And then the easiest hedge to get DIY investors to actually Ask an advisor for help as opposed to continuing to do it on them uh, all by themselves. So enjoy, guys. We got a good episode coming in.
1: This is the Advisor Odyssey audio experience where financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers will find fresh new ideas and perspectives around what it takes to launch, succeed, scale, and bulletproof their business.
0: So there are many, many things that you could define as a KPI in your business. Now to be clear, just so we're all on the same page, KPI stands for a key performance indicator. Okay. There's a lot of reasons why they're important, but we're gonna stay surface level here. Because we're not we're not in the middle of you know business class here and you know your final year of college. This is more so how does it impact your current business as a financial advisor? So KPIs, the goal of having them in general is just to improve the organizational health. It's your opportunity to look at, uh, really forecast where the business is going, okay? So KPIs are a little different than traditional tracking metrics. So we don't wanna get those confused. KPI should give you an idea of where you're going in the future, whereas metrics should give you an idea of where you are now or where you were. So KPIs, three main characteristics, they should, they should be in the form of numbers or percentages somehow. So that way they, they're actually quantitative. Like they can be evaluated on a common scale. There's no black or there's, I'm sorry, there's no gray. Everything's black and white. KPIs should be fairly practical. And I use the word fairly there because traditionally you want the KPIs to follow what you're already doing as an organization and it's just further projecting. However, if they're fairly practical, that will mean that you're allowing yourself some buffer of, I'm going to add this instead, I'm going to switch this up, you know, it's just it's a good way to look at it. The third characteristic of a KPI is that it's actionable. Okay. They should be able to provide you that future framework, but also it should give you an idea of what you can apply today to affect the, the future and the actual like change and outlook you want to happen. So, all in all, KPIs they measure where you're at now in a sense, but they're all about projecting where you're going to be in the future. For those of you who are looking to someday sell your business right? This is, this is really important data, okay? You need to be able to tell people where your business will be in two, three, four, five years. You need to be able to argue that if they disagree with you and you need to be able to have evidence as to why. So, all that said, here are uh, what I believe to be five of the biggest KPIs in the advisory business world. Okay, again, these are, uh, this is all assuming you own the advisory business. If you're just an agent in the business, this isn't going to be as impactful to you. But if you own the business, here are the five, and these are in no particular order. But the first of which is how many new families you serve. Okay. This could be through the form of traditional marketing, could be through the form of referrals. It's it's a really general, simple gauge of how many new families will you serve. So if you lay that out, is that going to be projected 10 this year? Is it going to be projected 10 this month? Okay, whatever it is, it's got to be something that can be looked at from the future lens of, here's where we're going based off of where we're at now. The second KPI that I believe is critically important to track and stay on top of, is how many first appointments you generate or were generated by your team. Okay, there is no second and third appointment or a client without a first appointment. So this is really critical data. That first appointment, if you have 20 first appointments every single week, you and your team call it, then we can look at that and say, here's our average. Over time, we can anticipate that average to go up to 25 to 30 new appointments. When we know we close or convert, call it 25% of them, then we can start saying that's two to three clients. That's four to five clients. We can get more detailed on that. So how many first appointments will you generate is a very critical KPI. A third one is how many referrals, will you systematically generate through your referral processes? So that was a long one, so I'm gonna break that down. How many referrals will you systematically generate because of your referral processes? Okay, referrals themselves, they can come and go as they please. Sometimes they're really unpredictable and sometimes that's the best kind when they just show up on the doorstep. But true business owners, in my opinion, especially in the financial advisory world, they understand that they cannot rely on random referrals to grow their business or even to sustain it. They have no power in the business if that's the case. So when you create a process and when you stick to the process to generate referrals, you can then look at trends. You can look to see when it becomes more predictable. If I do ABC for six months, did I generate referrals? If the answer is yes, I generated two referrals, do it for another six months. How many referrals did I generate? Three, okay, so I generated five referrals throughout the course of that year by doing this process. Theoretically, you should be able to assume you will generate, again, five referrals next year by following the same process. It's easy stuff, but it's really critical that it's not stepped over or glanced over, it's important. The fourth KPI that I believe is incredibly important to follow in your business is by what percentage, this is the percentage, not the number, by what percentage will you increase your conversion rate? This one really impacts the bottom line. For those of us, we spend money on marketing, and we generate the lead flow, we're, we're fine with spending the money. You might have a $10 marketing budget, $100, $1,000, 10000 a million. You might have a marketing budget of all sh- like all sizes, but none of that really matters unless we convert them. Okay. I say this a lot in my day-to-day life, little hinges can swing some big doors. Now when we deal with 10 new leads a month and we close just one more of those leads, we convert them, we're looking at an uptick in business. It's gonna impact our bottom line, but it's not gonna be astronomical more than likely. Now as you scale out and if you increase one new conversion per week because you generate thousands of leads per year, now we're really getting into a point where that bottom line jumps up and the ROI on our marketing efforts increases dramatically. The better the ROI, the more sellable the business, as long as it is not tied to you. Now, you might be saying, I don't wanna sell my business, that's not my intention. That's fine, but you should have this data for your own tracking purposes. And again, I, I've said this multiple, multiple times on this podcast, you cannot allow your business to run you. And if you do not know your numbers and you do not track things and forecast things on an actual like legitimate level not just I think I know what I'm gonna do you then hold the power and at the end of the day you don't create a business just so it can own you so lastly the fifth KPI that I think is incredibly important to follow and track in your business how many clients did you lose or as commonly referred to as is retention you might be losing three, four, five clients a year. Maybe that stings, but if you're bringing in 16, 17, 18 new clients every year, then we have a gauge. Okay, We have a benchmark. We have a gauge. We can start to track the value of each client. Our average client, $100,000 of revenue. Obviously, when they leave, we lose $100,000 of revenue. However, we know we're bringing in, in that example, a surplus of $700,000, 800000 $900,000. So it's not as big of a deal to the bottom line anyways but if we don't know how many clients are actually losing on average and we're just going through the motions of bringing in new clients bringing in new clients it can become really easy to not realize that you've got a hole in your pocket and you're just dripping clients and the last thing we want is to look at a business and granted hopefully this will never happen in the advisory world it happens in a lot of other worlds a lot of other business sectors You are bringing in almost the exact same amount of clients as you're losing on a systematic basis. This is that over-promise and under-deliver mentality. This is that transactional sales process that we don't want to do as financial advisors, right? We're in relationship sales. We're selling the promise of a better future. So when you can really dig in and look at how many clients you're losing currently, you can then project it and forecast it out and then leverage that as an indicator. So to recap, the five, I'm sorry, five of the biggest KPIs in the advisory business world, in my opinion, how many new families you're gonna serve? How many first appointments you're actually generating? How many referrals you're going to systematically generate through your processes that are built out? How many clients are you losing? And then by what percentage will you increase your conversion rate?
1: From left field, where we take a swing at answering your specific questions and share our insights into the more common challenges that financial advisors, planners, insurance agents,
0: and brokers typically face in their business. This was a question that has come in a handful of times. And uh, I should have addressed this earlier on other marketing, like a topic podcast, but we're gonna dig into it right now because it's, it's really important. The question was, what's a good benchmark for a marketing budget? Now, this question's come in multiple times, as I said, but this advisor ultimately is trying to figure out how much of my money should I be allocating towards marketing? Like, what's a reasonable budget for marketing expenses? Now, uh, I what I don't know is if this advisor is also factoring in like a branding budget. Okay, I tend to like to separate them. They work together, but I tend to separate them. But usually, uh, and every situation is going to be different, very, very different. Very, there's a very much uniqueness factor to all of this. But in a general sense, I would probably aim for about twenty to twenty-five percent of your revenue should be allocated towards marketing. So, if uh, it, by the way, I'm sorry, that's based on revenues to be clear, not profit. Okay, revenues, not profit. So, if your annual revenues are two hundred thousand, let's say. 20% of that, so 40000 is spent on marketing, okay? And maybe that's marketing and branding efforts, but it's spent on marketing efforts with the goal of growing the business and earning more clientele, right? That's why we're in this. We want to grow the business and earn more clientele, most of us. So with that 20% or $40,000, you've got probably, you know, if we continue to break down the budget, this is where it can vary. Maybe another 20% spent on overhead, it, expenses. You got 60% remaining, which in that example is 120,000. That's your take home profit, call it. Okay. And I'm very, very high level generalizing what's overhead expense, what's an operating cost, what's an employee cost. Like we're generalizing here, but overall, I like to lean to 20 to 25% of your revenues that should be allocated towards a marketing budget. So hope that helps. Um, ultimately again, every situation is going to be a little different. And you might be needing every ounce of the revenue that you bring in as basically to live on it. So that's a different deal. But that's where I like to be. Our second question was, uh, this, is, this is a big hot topic, honestly. And I think, uh, I actually saw a LinkedIn thread about this not too long ago. DIY investing, these investing apps, they it's not really impacting the retirement like sector as much as it is the more like, uh, millennial demographic and the maybe Gen Z in there too, but it's really, it's really going to become more prevalent in the long term future. And I think it is the biggest threat that financial advisors face over the long run. And I say long run in the next three to ten years plus. So, anyways, here's the question: Do you have any tips on convincing traditionally DIY investors or armchair advisors, as you can call them, to work with a financial advisor? The DIY investors and the armchair advisors, they're, they're a little different, but um, those who do their own investing strategies, they believe in what they're doing traditionally. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing them at all. So you don't ever wanna go head on and combat them and tell them do this instead, do that instead. The best avenue that I've seen to engage in conversations and ultimately drive a meeting with these DIY investors is to bring up taxes, okay, tax planning. Uh, the higher the net worth, the higher the earnings, the easier the conversation is to generate around tax planning. In other words, if someone's getting tax refunds pretty consistently off their W-2 income, they're not going to really bite at that. But the ones who are having to consistently pay taxes, or they're looking for tax uh, minimization strategies, tax optimization strategies, etc. Tax loss harvesting is actually a really big one. Those are the ones that you can really drive a wedge with. So, uh, Most investors, most DOI investors, most people in general don't understand taxes especially not at the level that they need to understand them to be their own financial advisor. So, until there's an app that comes out that does a really really good job at this, at tax planning, that's going to be your wedge. Okay? The more you can engage with someone on tax planning, the more conversations will happen. It is much easier. Okay, keep this in mind. Robinhood uh is is probably I mean it is the most popular I'd say, but you got Robinhood for example. And I don't have anything against Robinhood, by the way, Robinhood pros and cons. Some of the pros are as someone who invests on it or or someone who could invest on it. It's a lot easier to invest money on Robinhood than it is to meet with a financial advisor two or three times prior to even doing any paperwork or opening a managed account with them. Okay. It's ease of use. Okay. It's much easier to do it yourself in three minutes than it is to meet with someone multiple times to figure out a strategy etc as as amazing as that second strategy is long term it's the short-term satisfaction we all succumb to it it's the Amazon buy now button effect right we all fall in place for it so we got to keep that in mind it's easier for people to do that it's also easier because there's no management fee there is no fee that someone's paying now sure there's a margin or sure there's you know there's cuts taken out here and there however, when you tell someone that you manage their money for X amount of fee, you might be the best in the world at managing this. And I would agree with most people when they say they're really good at managing money and they're they're smart, they're educated, etc. But you're not trying to convince me. You're trying to convince the DIY investor who uses Robinhood. They don't like paying the management fee. Okay. Now you should never drop your fee to be clear, but perhaps the conversation is that management fee will st- it's there because it saves you taxes. It saves you tax implications. Then the conversation gets a lot easier. So, um, we also like to be clear. It's the day and age of instant information. You can give people uh, logins to their accounts to look at things and, and figure out where their you know portfolio, portfolio is at. Pardon me. You can give them all that, but there's just this 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 appeal to unlocking your phone, clicking on the Robinhood app or whatever investing app opening up and seeing your exact balance to the moment, okay? I mean, sure, markets close at a certain time, but still you can see all that. The other, the last piece of this that we gotta remember to pay attention to when it comes to these investing apps, most investment options are going to be available to the general public. Every once in a while you'll have these exclusive portfolio funds, these exclusive uh, you know, offerings that you can provide. However, theoretically, 95% of investment options can be done through retail through these kind of apps. And that's usually all people need. They just want to buy Disney. They're not trying to buy these different portfolio makeups that include Disney, like you know, the ETF models that are super selective and super proprietary and super well performing. Like they're gonna go for more simple long term, you know, buy and hold strategy. Usually. So uh all in all, like the reality is if all you're doing is investing people's money and then managing it for them. Again, you might be the best at this, but you're in for a rude awakening because the financial apps will take your job away if you do not provide the value to the consumer that apps cannot. If you are leaning on the pillar of, hey, I get to know you and your goals, uh, you know, I'm a real human being, like, that's not gonna be good enough. It's just not. Like, we've already converted to preferring to do more over Zoom than we do in person as a, as a, as a society. That right there is a big step forward to some, backwards for some. But if all you're doing is investing money and you're not tangibly, like through evidence proven, providing value consistently, it's gonna be a rough one. It's gonna be a rough future. Um, like I said, for now there's no great year-long tax planning app, at least that I'm aware of. And that's good for most advisors when the time comes that there is an app created that does tax planning for you, and I mean more advanced stuff like potentially Roth conversions, um, tax loss harvesting strategies, like there, when that becomes real, that's where things are gonna get tough, okay? That's where things are gonna get really tough for the advisors that don't stand out from traditional money managers. So again, those are a few tips and strategies on convincing DIY investors, but ultimately it does come down to the number one thing, talk about taxes talk about tax planning. That is the best shot you have of driving the wedge immediately because most people don't understand that at a high level. And if they're going to pay CPA, they might as well pay an advisor who wraps that into what they do. So thanks you guys for listening. As always, take care. I look forward to seeing you on the next one.
1: We hope you enjoyed the Advisor Odyssey audio experience. Connect with us on your favorite social media platforms at Advisor Odyssey. You can find our full-length educational videos to watch on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out all our articles and publications on medium.com forward slash Advisor Odyssey. The Advisor Odyssey podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The contents and opinions shared, expressed, or otherwise alluded to on the Advisor Odyssey podcast and audio experience are solely ideas not to be depicted as tax, legal, or investment advice. Results from the use of these concepts may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. Your results may vary. The Advisor Odyssey and its affiliated members are not to be held liable or responsible for any lawful recourse or punishment invoked upon the individual or accompanying business partners or team members. Federal law, state law, and or insurance carrier requirements may prohibit or place limitations on any of the ideas and activities expressed. All advisors, planners, wholesalers, affiliated reps, and investment advisors should be aware of any limitations imposed by federal regulation, state regulation, insurance carriers, broker dealers, and registered investment advisors as applicable. Investment advisors are strongly encouraged to obtain pre-approval from the broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, insurance company, or similar institution with which they may be affiliated.